lights up. So it doesn't matter if you're Cristiano or you. We yeah. look after everyone else the same. There's little difference between <laughs> us. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Marie Owen. Marie is the founder and CEO of LS Productions, a company that was born around a kitchen table in 2006 and has recently now been named in the Sunday Times 100 fastest growing companies. You'll hear Marie talk about how a chance meeting with her now husband John planted the seed for what would go on to become LS Productions. She lays out the progression from a small business fighting for clients to working with global brands and individuals such as Cristiano Ronaldo, Harry Styles and Ed Sheeran. And there's some food for thought on how we measure motivation, success and self-belief. Not only is Maria a terrific person, but she's a phenomenal example of what can be achieved when you combine dedication with a real passion for what you do. And that's absolutely evident throughout this entire conversation. So whether you're walking a dog, you maybe you're at the gym, you might be on a long drive, whatever you're doing, I'm glad to be keeping you company. So thanks for listening. From you, you drew the short straw quite spectacularly, having to sit beside me at the Soho House dinner, and here we are <laughs> at LS Productions HQ. Thank you very much for hosting me here. You're welcome. And I loved it's, that night. We had a great chat. I know, we did. It's, a, it's such an amazing building, this. Do you want to describe it for people listening? Okay. Uh, well, it's an old sheet metal works, owned by a good friend of mine who had the foresight to buy it and do it up, which he's done wonderfully. And uh, it caused us a bit of headaches when the trams arrived and they were digging up the street outside. It was hugely delayed by finding loads of bones, so there was lots of architectural diggings and then recordings about where these had come from, which slowed the whole process of the trams down. So for a while, the street was closed. We had little street parties and stuff. It was kind of great. Difficult for business and our comings and goings and for some of our neighbours who, you know, have footfall Mm -hmm. going into their cafes or whatever. But now the trams are here, it's actually... Pretty brilliant. It's a really... I've never been here before. So, like, driving about, I kept nearly crashing because I'm just looking at buildings and going, wow, like, the age of these and what they must be. Anybody that's a regular listener to this probably sighed and groaned when you said about the bones because they're like, oh, here we go, we set this (laughs) loser bastard off. (laughs) Did you find anything out about that? No, not particularly. I just think Edinburgh's been built on layers and layers and things have been hidden away. I'm not sure if they completely weren't aware that they were there in the first place, but then they unearthed them. But just up the road's a big graveyard. I mean, you just don't know. That's fascinating. But it's it? just that whole historical thing of Edinburgh, isn't Could it? have been so. from, around, from around the time of the Black Death. Probably. When, for anybody who's unaware, <laughs> you go to Edinburgh Old Town, it's on the massive slope because they, they couldn't get rid of the plague, the bubonic plague, and they had to just say... We'll just need to build on top of it. So that's like Mary King's Close, Edinburgh Vaults. Well, they were once the city of Edinburgh, which is fascinating. Fascinating. Do you know that Edinburgh has got more listed buildings than Rome? Nope, I didn't know that. That's quite the start, isn't it? But it's good what you say. Like If you're not in this area very much, you really notice the architecture, Mm. the type of building. Like We work with clients from all over the world, and some of them will come to Edinburgh. 
And we need to remember to look at Edinburgh through that lens. Yeah. I think when you live somewhere, you obviously take it a bit for granted. But it's good to be reminded. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of parts of East End of Glasgow, the type of sandstone mm. building and just the type of construct. I just wonder, it's, I'm trying to, I was driving down trying to picture like, what would this have been like. Is it, I think if you look at certain buildings, squint your eyes and you could be like, I'm in 1842. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like, isn't it? But Edinburgh is a bit sort of mishmash of age of buildings, isn't it? And this area, Leith, has evolved so much over the years. So we've been here as a business for 17 years. And even in that period of time, but there's pubs here, you know, where the dockers would go after work. So mm -hmm. they open, I think a few of them still open at 6am. So, you know, when you're coming to work, they're already in the pub still. And you're like, that's crazy. But that was a normal part of this society. Mm. But it has evolved loads. You know, there's great restaurants and bars I was out last week. We went to one of the local bars, which has now been done up a bit. It's called the Port of Leith, and it's got a really rich history. And it's always full of colourful people, mm. even on a Wednesday night. So that's fun. <laughs> Yourself included. Yeah, we're the quiet ones, though. But yeah, we nearly got into a fight. You've, you got into a fight? Well, somebody kind of wanted to fight us. We were like, oh, <laughs> time to leave. <laughs> what the hell? That's yeah, a, choice a, characters, but yeah. funny, really funny, yeah. A rich tapestry of people indeed. I feel like Leith, because there's, there's the, this visual juxtaposition of old and new, and it's almost uh, you're looking at buildings or looking at this building from the outside, or even if you were to walk around in here after you give me the wee tour, if I didn't know what it was, and I, there weren't clues such as like awards or a Stella McCartney poster, you probably look and think, I have got no idea what this company does, but I would never guess LS Productions and LS Films did what they did. Okay, I know the name kind of gives it away, but let's just say I knew it was LS. And I feel yeah. like that's this sort of, oh, it's such a cringy, cliched phrase, but challenging the status quo or sort of opposing the status quo. Do you feel like that embodies, and we'll go on, because people are like, wait, we don't even know what the company is, but do you think that embodies who you are, what you do, that type definitely. of attitude? And definitely where we've came from, well, who we are as people and what we're trying to do in this industry. But even in this building, when you come through that door, it's a TARDIS. No one has any ideas, yeah. really, unless they come in here, what happens behind those windows. And I meet other local businesses, and we're the LS, they're like, and you come in and there's all this history, architecture, kind of cool space. Like, I'd love to live here. Can imagine yeah. making this into an apartment or something. It'd be so cool. But I know, isn't it? You're right. But we're dead lucky because we're able to put our own stamp on it and don't get me wrong there's loads I would still like to do in here but we've been able to do that without much restriction so that's fun and mm. I also just said we're having our Christmas party here soon and you know it'll be a great one because it's just got a really good feeling in this building yeah me and all my pals are looking forward to it as well <laughs> guests of honour <laughs> just let us know um right most people I think most of us can trace our lives now back to a specific moment now for me it's a throwaway comment in the pub in 2018 for you, it's a kiss in a nightclub in Tenerife. <laughs> Take me to I that. I want to know what yours is, how that happened. Was yours a kiss? Uh, <laughs> I mean, my pal Justin. No, my, <laughs> I'd come back from Barcelona. Pal, I've told this story loads of times. Everybody's like, <laughs> heard this. But I'd come back from Barcelona and we're in this pub in uh, Bishopton. Aye, Bishopton. And uh, he's took a drink of his beer and he's like, you should start a podcast. I was like, what do you mean, start a podcast? He's like, that's what I mean, start a podcast. People would listen. I was like, but what? And I went, I don't know, but you should just do it. Wow. And then I did it. And then 
There you go. I think sometimes I like wake up screaming or sweating in the middle of the night, like thinking, imagine I never, what would my life have been like? So it's, it's funny true. you can trace it back to that one to that wee moment. thing. Yeah. And I suppose if we were to go way, way back to yours, that's what we'd take I it. I think what I take even from that before I properly answer your question is sometimes you've got these ideas and you've just got to give it a go. Yeah. Even if you don't really know why or how it's going to work out, that's a bit of the gamble of life. And I really believe in that. It's If you think too much, you might not do it. And Obviously, in some decisions in life, you've got to give it a bit of thought and reflection, yeah. but you can sort of navigate your way through it. But if you just give it a go, then you never know. There was something you said, actually. Let me find it. You said, oh, that was it. You said it's only as you go through the stages that clouds begin to part and you see what's really possible. It's true. It's very profound. Well, probably somebody cleverer in the marketing department took my words and made them sound better, but it, I really believe in writing plans and thinking of a long-term future, what's important, what makes you, I was going to say happy, but content, what would be a good outcome in your life, and then taking the steps backwards to today and, well, what are you going to do about that? But sometimes that plan can be wrong. It feels right today and in the now, but as you part those clouds or as you you know, come to certain points in that journey, I think it's good to stop and say, is that still what I want? Mm. And actually now I've got a bit closer. It's like, ooh. So, you know, this company's a lot bigger than it used to be, but I don't believe bigger is always better. So just getting bigger and following on, I'm going to get a bigger company and never really stopping and reviewing the situation. Yeah. I think that's what that means. And I think it is important. I feel like as well, people maybe start something and they have a particular end point in mind. They think this is what it looks like or... They think, well, this is what the journey will look like, failing to take into account that progress is very rarely linear. And and it's there are huge ups and huge downs. I think I've had some massive upsides personally, but I've had some even bigger downsides. And it's when you're on that slide that you have to think of, well, here's the, the end point. Here's where, and it doesn't always have to be an end point, but it's like get, kind of getting through it. You have to take that roughly smooth. It's kind of, so it would probably would have been easy for you to chuck it and think, well, no, this is this is a big hit. Loads of time. Even recently, me and my husband were standing in the garden or something. And I was like, you really want to do this? Because we don't have to. You know, <laughs> We can change our paths. We can do something differently. But you've kind of got to have a passion or a belief and a want and an understanding of what that want is. Why? You know, everyone says, what's your why? Mm. But why are you really doing it? And there's a great um, diagram about that path of success. And I don't think it's even a wiggly line. This is actually just like a big chaotic squiggle. <laughs> and eventually it is kind of going in an upward direction. Yeah. But it's there's that you really be difficult to trace from where it started to where it ended because it gets really messy. Yeah, but I think you're right. There's a, there's a belief sometimes it's linear. And if that's not quite working out for you that you're failing, sometimes you're just on the right part of the journey. And that's about having a bit of a review moment and say, you know, is this what we really want? Is this what I really want? Are we sort of still roughly heading in the right direction? And if, if it changes a wee bit, that's totally... I think that's mm. smart rather than wholeheartedly going for something at the end. You think, that's yeah. not what I really wanted anyway. You know, I mentioned the Tenerife incident, but let's go even further back. You worked as cabin crew? I did, yeah. What, what uh, airline did you work for? It was called Air UK. Right. So it was like a domestic airline. I was based in Edinburgh, so I did this from school. Right. For for I did get a university place and I didn't want to go and my mum and dad were dead relaxed, said do what you want to do. And I didn't really like the course that I'd got a place for, so I thought, nah, um I'll go and work at Edinburgh Airport, which I did and I loved. But I had to work on the ground for a year at checking when you still checked people in manually yeah, on a computer. Yeah. Great fun, because you're always talking to people. That's what I loved about the whole mm. thing. 
And then somebody said you should fly, but I actually hated flying. So I had to kind of get over my fear of flying <laughs> to become a cabin crew, which I did for eight years. Right. I loved it. Was it and all it was just all into UK? All all around Europe, mainly a lot. It was a lot about feeding people out of the UK into Europe, but right. their other main hub was Amsterdam. Right. So I got to spend a good deal of my life as cabin crew living in Amsterdam. That must have been was, shite, yeah. was hard, hard <laughs> times. <laughs> when but, and and so so you, you go through that kind of eight year period. Did you kind of then? Is this when you had the Tenerife sort of encounter? Yeah. Um, so because you're cabin crew, you get cheap flights. Yeah. You go on standby on your holidays and stuff. So me and a few folk from the airline went to Tenerife for twenty pounds. So we all got ourselves there and we we're staying in our friends' mum and dad's villa. So I mean, this is a long time ago now, and we were in the discos, as you do. And it was the first time I'd ever been on a girl's holiday. I was nineteen, and I met John on the second night. I was actually kissing somebody else on the first night, oh. and on the second night I met somebody else. <laughs> I think I kissed him on the third night. Yes, and that was it. for me, don't worry. No, you never <laughs> find out. <laughs> we were in Tenerife a couple of weeks ago, well, six weeks ago with our kids, and we went back to the fated bar that we met in, which kind of closed it? down. I can't remember what it's called, but it's on that horrible Veronica strip, uh, yeah, that yeah. tiny strip, right next to where the nightclub is at the end, which I can't remember what that nightclub's called, and we did go to it. It's actually nice, but anyway, it was just round there. Hilarious. So we met there, yeah. That's funny. But he did lie to me, do you know this bit? Right, so my understanding was that he told you he was a fashion photographer, was that, was he embellished? Okay. But I didn't know what a fashion, I didn't think a fashion photographer was a job. But he told me his name was Jack and he was 24. Well, I kind of guessed it. He told me his name was Jack because his pals were calling him Jack and it was that stupid thing, guess my age. Oh, you look 24. He said, yeah, I'm 24. And I was 19. Now we went somewhere, you know, like when you used to buy like drink in the supermarket to have to give your passports and like like ID, obviously, but yeah, yeah. to have to prove even if you looked old enough. So he got his passport out, and I looked at his passport for it. Clearly, it had his date of birth on it, but I never looked because he was twenty eight and a half, oh. not twenty four, and I'm nineteen. And he kept up that uh, ruse for about six, seven weeks. So when we left the holiday, he said, I'll come and visit you in Scotland. We didn't really have mobiles, I don't think. Or you kind of did, but you didn't use them. I can't really remember. So he'd phone my home or phone me at work. And then he came to visit and I still lived with my parents. So he was Jack for about the four weeks that he visited (laughs) Betty Cook where I lived until he had made an announcement somewhere down the line. And then had to face up to my dad that he was a liar. He's he's (laughs) probably thought, oh, this is fine. Then he's realised, oh, shit, I actually really like her. And that's what he said. He said, I think when he got home, he said to his mum, I'm going to marry her. It's kind of presumptuous. And uh, then he was like, shit, I've been telling her all these lies. <laughs> but I've got a daughter now who's about to turn 19. And she's like, imagine I came home with a 28-year-old boyfriend so, who had lied for a few weeks. So I can kind of get her point. I could get my, my dad was not happy. I think he would like how it's worked out. My dad's passed away now, but he, him and John got on really well. Yeah, oh, well, all's wrong that ends really. All worked out fine. But it's funny that, yeah, I would like to see his um, his uh, his thoughts if it was done with, with your daughter now. That's quite funny, but it's, it's always all right when you do it, isn't it? But 100%. No, when somebody else does it. Totally. Um, so here's a way, this is where I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've gathered the formation of LS has kind of come from, he's coming back from, from uh, John's coming back from work trips and he's saying, oh, you know, this wasn't done or that wasn't done. And you're thinking, well, I could do that a lot better. Is that just where the idea sprang from? Sort of, yeah. So, um, yeah, he travelled a lot 
all around the world and, and you had a brilliant career and loved travelling. But by this point, we'd got married and when I had the kids, I gave up flying because both of us travelling all the time was impossible. And so he would be away about seven months of the year and I was at home with a baby and then a three-year-old and a new set of twins. So it was difficult at home on my own. And he kept saying, you know, this. first of all, he kept saying Scotland's beautiful. So going back to what you said, you know, you're driving down this area, looking around, think of what Scotland has to offer as a whole yeah. country. And there's a massive opportunity for us to sell Scotland better than it does for itself. Because I think people love Scotland around the world, but they have such a preconception or an assumption about some really cool stuff, but there's lots of it that they don't know about. So he was really looking through it through a photographer's eye a lot of it to do with light and how beautiful the light was and actually then about landscapes and colours. But also, like, you can be on a beach, you can be up a mountain, you can be in a nightclub, you can, I don't know, go to a pub, go down a cobbled street, find a modern building, all quite close together, which mm. is really interesting, especially in fashion photography where you can turn around and shoot in lots of different locations without... Like, if you're in London, you quite often have to drive through London traffic to get to the next location. There's a ton of stuff in Edinburgh and way beyond Edinburgh. So he kept saying, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Um, I'm doing work in London specifically that really could be coming up to Scotland. It just needs somebody to organise a bit of stuff. And to be fair, I thought, well, I know I didn't really know what production was, let alone if I could organise it. But he says, you're good with people. Like, all it is is just working out. If you Just help me a bit, really, is how it started. So that's what happened and I mean it was tiny tiny little things of helping but that experience of working in the airline and dealing with people every day dealing with the airline dealing with the pilots dealing with the airport and then dealing with the passengers and all the conversations back what people needed and all the things about you know, we're going to take off in time and are you delayed all part of just thinking on your feet and sorting stuff out mm. kind of transferable into this business cabin crew is actually such a terrific training ground for for so many things, you're essentially a conduit for every facet of the operation, aren't you? Definitely, and you're, it's an odd situation to be faced with 100 or 200 people in a, so basically in a metal tube with the door shut. <laughs> you have to deal with everything, whatever that is, somebody's scared, somebody's worried, somebody's upset, somebody's late, somebody's angry. Somebody's shot themselves, I'm not even trying to be funny now. <laughs> well, all sorts. Yeah. You, and you can't, well, you can land and get the police. <clears throat> and often, especially now, the flight deck doors are locked. In our yeah. days, they weren't locked, and you could go in and say, I've got a problem here, blah, 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 is happening, or how do you want me to deal with this? But in reality, it's you and your team to yeah. deal with everything. So it was a brilliant learning of just life skills. And I mean, to begin with, it made me dead nervous because there was no hiding. And then I realised communication is key. And even if they don't like the message... At least if you're telling the truth, I don't know how you feel, but if somebody says, I'm sorry, this is happening because of this and I'm doing this, somebody might still be angry at me, but at least, at least you're getting an answer yeah. rather than I hate customer service where people just ignore you. Even if it's just hello or I'm sorry I can't change the situation, but we'll give you an update in half an hour. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So I soon learnt that in that environment. So yeah, it's a brilliant training ground for life. So that at the point then when you start helping out and things, is this when you go into business where you're another couple that's your friends yeah they really turn out very well did it, yeah, it 15 grand research. each and then you had equal voting rights there's I, a lesson learned i mean honestly we were so naive but sometimes i think you learn by that kind of what you just said i'm going to do a podcast we're just going to do it and i bet you've learned a lot about just doing a podcast yeah. isn't as simple as just doing a podcast well if i had a pound for every person that asked me 
I'm going to set one up. This is still not, not zero grand total. I think a grand total of zero that I've ever set up. So it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And we never run a business before. And our, the person that we went into business with, the couple, but especially the lady she had, she was running her own business. So I thought she knew a lot more than me. And at the time, she really did. But we didn't really think it through. Just four of us set up a business, made up a name, made up by the other um, guy, actually. It was a great name at the time. And we divided the shareholding and we divided up some tasks. But the other three of them already had day jobs. My only day job was bringing up the kids, which Mm. is harder than a day job. And trying to put a bit of a business together. But I did learn a lot through the process. And I learned a lot from her, some really, really good stuff. But also quite quickly some stuff. Because I think running a business is... It's like life, it's like applying common sense. And if you don't know how to do something, go out and learn and listen and think and read and gather intel. It's just the same. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a great start. I'm glad we did it because I'm not sure if it hadn't started in that fashion, it would have started at all. So just what it was. With when you started, so this kind of fabled story, starting 2006 at the kitchen table, is this when you implemented the company values or did that come later because I love that these? That came later, as in articulated into words that yeah. you've seen up in the office and what they really mean. But they were there from the start because part of the idea, <clears throat> and if, if John was coming back from a trip and he would describe production and what had went well and what he liked about the locations and were they available and you know where did they go for dinner and how how were they looked after on set and you could see where the pros and the cons were so my thing was about you did so one of our values is shit hot which is a very <laughs> uh, ambitious um value to have but i think it's all behind it is the intentions do the best you can yeah. and that will fall short a lot because you cannot be a hundred well nothing's a hundred percent but it shows that's what you're looking out and you're striving for mm-hmm. so for me that translated into right then it was about if we're going to do production we're going to do it the best we can and we start started in fashion production which is quite a niche area but also very particular the clients what they need and how you look after them and the speed and what they work etc so it was a brilliant learning ground but it was also about doing it to the best we can so that value of shit hot wasn't written down then but it was mm-hmm. very much part of the fabric of why we started the business. Yeah. Like we can deliver a really good, nice, nice, funny word in business, but nice service. So it's just intrinsic within you. The company values to go through them for people who would like to know them to listen. So there's well, five that I've got. You know, we are people, people, which makes sense to me. But the, the, well, I'll, I'll leave the second one out. I'll come to that last. We've got we are shit hot. Learning always, creative at heart. But the one that stands out for me is don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. I think from like the you know the nineteen eighties, Michael Douglas, Wall Street type, and Margaret Thatcher's Britain and stuff. There was this thing of be ruthless, you know, and, and it still kind of continues to this day. And it's like you have to get ahead, make your money, make your millions. But how important is that to you? And do you think that can still be a priority, and you can still succeed? The 100%. Whole don't be a dick. This has nothing to do with not succeeding, but to do that, I think you need to foster trust and love and respect and integrity, which are all part of those values. But for me, don't write those values down. They're a given in life, in my mind. So don't be a dick encompasses all that for me. And that goes for everybody. It goes for our clients. It goes for our suppliers. I mean, we can't imprint that on them, but they can know that's where we come from. And so now I am the CEO of a company. Right then, I was the owner of a company of nothing but it was still the same value just because my seniority has grown as a business I'm not going to have some big inflated ego and be a dick 
I want this company to be successful for all, including me and my family, but I don't have to get some inflated ego, yeah. which, again, reflect, reflects to don't be a dick. And I decided, and I had loads of pushback on it from sensible people, like, oh, I don't know if you can write that down. I was like, well, this is our company, and we, we can kind of do what we like at this moment in time, and if we're careful about... We don't go around just shouting that out at people, but it just underpins everything that we mm. think about the business and ourselves, I would say. You know, it said money and status changes people. Oops, that was my phone. <laughs> uh, money and status changes people. It can um, do. It can, but I think it amplifies who you originally were. Do you? Uh, and yeah, in, in most instances, yeah. So if, if it amplifies the dick element that was always there? It was always there, but you probably didn't have the, I don't know, the, the means of expressing it. Or you maybe felt the oh well I don't have the position to express that yet although I would very much like to I think you can see it in people yeah I see where you're coming how from you, you know how you speak to a waiter how you treat people who can't oh, do anything so for true. you that's really true um, I usually just click my fingers at them and say hey um. and how does that work for you no, <laughs> <laughs> but also I think it's that I sometimes see the effect of people become more. I was going to say successful, but actually that's completely the wrong word. Maybe more visible in their business. Let's just talk about this in a business sense. Mm -hmm. And they maybe protect themselves with an ego because they think, I've got to be a leader, I've got to know it all, uh, I want people to think I'm in charge. And maybe their ego is a wee bit afraid, but sometimes I think it's a real self-confidence protector yeah. to be a dick because then you don't... Uh, like chip away at them and get to know the real person. It's like a, it's like a mask. Mm. I believe in this thing, authentic leadership. You know, it's just roughly who I am at home and who I am at work is exactly the same. Although maybe my husband would say I'm worse at home than I am at work, <laughs> so that's unfair. But in reality, that's that's why I think it's just a, for us to, to succeed in life, just be yourself. Mm. And you know that cheesy, there's only one of you, just be you and don't compare yourself to others or pretend you're a bit... That's just what I apply in life, I suppose. Mm. I suppose sometimes you do have to put on a certain type of mask uh, if you're maybe lacking a wee bit of confidence, but I think you're right with your values and how you treat people. Are and I don't. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, especially in a leadership position, you have to be sensitive with information. So I really believe in open, honest discussion, communication. But for some reasons, maybe a legal reason, like we sign NDAs all the time with a client, there's certain things we can't talk about. So that's not because I'm lying. It's just being sensitive to information. That also doesn't mean I'm not being authentic. It's just I'm performing as I need to do as mm -hmm. a sort of in, in the position that I'm given to working in this business. Yeah. So it's just, I just do think ego can get in the way of leading a contented life I also see a lot of people who are very successful and super unhappy oh. because they've built up a pretense about what makes them happy. And often that's linked to ego. I've got a this and I've got a that. And I'm, you know, everything's bigger than yours. And I just, I just yeah. don't buy into I really, that. I really pity people like that that still have all the, the riches and resources and even sometimes admiration in the world, but they haven't cracked the, the very simple but I suppose difficult concept that everything is an inside job, all happiness anyway, and, and until you can find that, whether it's peace in yourself or self acceptance, like there's no amount of of stuff is ever is, is ever going to make you happy. The whole point of life is to try and work that out, yeah. and sometimes it becomes a little bit clearer as you get older if you take the time to think about it or even realise that that's important to you, and if you can find a bit more of that as you're younger, how exciting! But was at a friend's mum's funeral not that long ago 
And I love, I think it's sad you only find this out at funerals, but the stories of people and their life and what it was all about. And they never taught, well, she owned a this and she wore designer clothes every day and she earned X and she worked her ass off. There might be elements of her career or something, but it's all about the person. Mm -hmm. It always sticks in my head about, well, what is it all about? And what is somebody going to say at my funeral? Yeah. <laughs> obviously, I won't hear. <laughs> but it really, you know, oh, she worked hard and she built a business. Like, it's like, so what? Yeah. That's fine, but what else? Mm. I suppose that, that working stuff and that daily pursuit, that's your own personal um, pursuit of contentment Yeah. And, and whatever. But then it's the main thing is how the, the interactions you've had with people. And that sounds really like just umbrella term. Like how, how did you make people feel? What did you do for people? Like what sort of impact did you have? Because you, yeah, you don't ever say, hey, you owned this and you owned that. It's also what impact those people have on you. So I've done a bit of mentoring, which I always feel a massive imposter about, but I've just realised mentoring is having a conversation and sharing stories. And I learn as much from the mentee as I do by being the mentor. And they're like, oh, thanks for giving out your time. I was like, no, thanks you, because I've gone away with some jewels of things that you've said or a different perspective on yeah. something, which is really helpful. So that's a really nice thing. Mm -hmm. to, um, to come back to LS, 2007, website launches. So the business kind of starts to grow. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of getting high-end fashion clients, and you're doing. Is it more like sort of still image things, so for like adverts? Stills. Definitely, it was stuff like they would have on their catalogues, or that you might see in a billboard, mm. or in a newspaper, or a magazine, like an editorial, or a leaflet that you get in a magazine. But all stills completely. But we're talking like Carol Lagerfeld would have been one of your clients. Who else? So we're talking like high-end. High-end. I mean, we, there's sort of high street fashion and high-end fashion, I suppose you could call it. The end of the day then, it was a real mix. It was a lot more of the high street stuff that then led to high-end. Now, to be fair, every client we work with needs similar stuff, just mm -hmm. different amounts of it. This is how my simple brain works, still <laughs> does today. So be it we're doing something for Marks and Spencers or Bowdoin or Crew Clothing, which were some of our first clients coming through the door. When we did something for Carl Lagerfeld, it was for an editorial magazine. What he and his team needed was the same. They needed somewhere to stay, they needed somewhere to shoot, they needed vehicles to get there. But the way they needed it delivered and the level of it was, you know, we need a chauffeur-driven fleet rather than we need three eight-seater vans, but they just needed vehicles. So it's very cheesy to say, but all of our clients are as important as each other. Mm. And they all bring different interests and challenges and needs to the table. But you can't get away from when, and the Carl Lagerfeld one was brilliant because I used to do everything in this business, you know, answer the phone, book the vehicles, drive the vehicles, make the sandwiches, whatever it might be. But he didn't actually phone, obviously, but when somebody phoned to discuss that project, it sounded like a student magazine or something. So we're kind of like, what, what? But I don't know if you remember back to when Chanel did the runway show in the Lithgow Palace. No. It was quite, it was in that year then, right, okay. the year of when Karl Lagerfeld came. So it was on the back of that show, he shot a campaign and it's very rare that he would actually shoot something. So it was an amazing experience yeah. to be involved in. So it is very exciting. And these people have probably never been to Scotland before <clears throat> and we might never get the chance to work with them again. Some people never work with people like that in their life. So mm. it's incredible. Aye, exactly. People will never work, will likely never work with people like that in their lives. I mean, other jobs you had, um, as you said, Chanel, Marie Claire magazine, Bank of Scotland, Tatler magazine. Yeah. F for a company in like its sort of infancy, that must have just been like a sort of, wow, like how the hell have we ended up here? Yes. But sometimes you're so in the thick of it 
this maybe comes back with the don't be a dick but it's like that's exciting but what is the mechanics of that actual project with Tatler <clears throat> how do we make it happen so yes when it's then printed you're like woohoo but in a funny way you're on a project and you're knee deep in the logistics and trying to plan it out and at that point we're trying to work out any kind of system I mean John will tell you John give me a computer you'll need a computer I was like oh my god don't know how to work a computer so how do we drop the budgets obviously I learned how to use the computer but how do we do that how, what's our filing system how do we get our data out how do we how do we have phones in the office now I know that sounds dull as hell but that's a really important part of setting up a business especially one that was me at home to then just me and a couple of people around the table that was actually quite easy because you could just communicate with you. But then you still needed a way of making it all work. What bank account did they put the money in? Had they actually paid? Who's chasing the money? Who's paying all the suppliers? Because there's all of that to consider yeah. behind the name of Tatler or Marks and Spencers. So sometimes, and it's really important, and we had a meeting today even about that, where we're having a, a team gathering next week, was celebrating some of the high moments that we've had in this business this year because they nearly get forgotten about because you're just knee-deep in all the detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was a few, so like, remember we worked with them? Remember when this happened? I was like, I don't even know about that. So you need to stop and celebrate what you've just said. That must have been amazing. All I can really remember was just how hard we were working. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, Tatler's done. What are we on to next? But it was amazing. And you'll see we've got cutouts and scrapbooks and all of our archive stuff of those moments in time, which were incredible. Well, I think at this point in the year, so what are we at? at? End of November. I would encourage everybody, like everybody who's sitting listening, or you sitting listening now, to take a look back and go, what have I done? Yeah. Whether it's personal, whether it's family, whether it's financial, it could be career. To be, I've had a few decent moments this year. You're always kind of like, well, what's next? What am I getting next? And that's not even like a pure... You know, that cringe rising, hashtag rising grind mindset. <laughs> it's more just out of fear because you're like, well, I need something else now. And I think that's, that's important, done. but we have that whole, this is even worse, you know, reflecting and being grateful. But I think that's a really important part of being content yeah. is being grateful for what you've got and why, and when you, and you see it happening, you don't just let it pass by. Cause I'm a super ambitious person, very optimistic, mm -hmm. really have a belief in certain things and I'm a, you know, I, I want to get somewhere, but I've already got somewhere. And it, even in 2007, I'd got somewhere. So it's important to look at those moments and, and celebrate them. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I surround myself with some really interesting people, especially in a business group I'm in. That they're just, they help you keep your feet on the ground and remind, especially when you're going through challenging times. And challenging times can be positive and negative, but, you know, challenging with what you're going to do next. But to remind yourself of how far you're coming. Mm. I don't know if I said to you now, tell me 10 things you're grateful for in your life. You could hopefully yeah, list them yeah. like that. But do we think about that sometimes? Because no, we're chasing the next thing. Yeah. I do try. Do you ever, do you ever write? Do you ever write mm. like in a journal and stuff? I was going to say, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, no, me too. I'm a bit rubbish. I start something, I stop it, then yeah, I start something, I stop it. But it's there. Like I've got one of those five year little paragraph a day for five years so you can compare on the day. Yeah, yeah, So you don't yeah. have to write very much. Aye. Sometimes there'll be gaps and then I just scribble things in it. But I love looking back at that stuff. Me going, too. Oh my God. Remember that was important on that day. It always passes. The good and the bad. It always passes. Yeah, that's true. Good the good and bad always passes. I always say to people as well. Or, or say to myself all the time. I'm like, highs and lows. Don't get too ahead of yourself. And that's not to say like, don't be delighted and, and don't kind of feel a wee bit sorry for yourself in the tough times but always just remember it's always going to it's going to level out i think i read you know that thing life is a roller coaster and you're like that yeah yeah whatever but it's so true 
And actually life is full of challenges and opportunities. Because sometimes I think there's a preconception other people have got it easier than you have. I think that's sometimes, oh God, I'm doing this wrong. But actually everyone's life, if you interviewed anyone in the street, is full of a whole lot of challenges. They can turn into opportunities. They can be positive. They can be dead sad. But that's what's getting thrown at everyone every day. Yeah. And I think a lot of this about being an employer and I'm asking people and helping people when their careers do all this stuff. But we're all going through a whole lot of other stuff at the same time. Yeah. So it's oh, quite a, a mess sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's sad, isn't it? If you spent half an hour listening to somebody else's problems, you'd be thankful for your own. Yeah. Um, you know, we I've, started a meeting today, though, and we do it very quickly. We don't do it all the time. A quick score out of 10 for your personal life and your business life. You give a little summary, and it's like somebody's... I don't know, boiler's broken, it's cost them a lot of money and the plumber's not been turning up. But then there's somebody else who's maybe got a family member not well or their dog or something. And you get a bit, just a tiny bit, not that we want to get into counselling, it's not about that, or being nosy, but it's also we're just humans, being mm. humans. So be human sometimes. Yeah, and a problem shared is a problem half. I always try and totally. say that to people. I always have misunderstood that. I always thought it meant what, so the other person takes 50% of the responsibility <laughs> and it's like, no, you 50% of the weight of it is relieved because you're no longer carrying it on your yeah, own. just letting it out. Um, this was, remember you mentioned this at dinner and my head nearly swiveled off my shoulders when you, you met a certain sportsman in, in Manchester <laughs> at the time and, and end up having a very long working relationship with him. Uh, it was Gary Neville, now, John. <laughs> <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo comes into your orbit. Mm. What, how did that come about? That came about because we had made some contacts with someone in procurement at Unilever. I'm just trying to get back to the really where it started. And this person put us forward for a shoot. And you have to be the Unilever product for an advertising TV commercial. And you have to be on their roster, like procurement roster, to be allowed to do stuff like oh. that. So through the years, we've got far more professionalised than we were back in the day, which is that whole thing about learning always or always learning, like constantly, and that self, that, well, not just self-improvement, but improvement in the business. So suddenly we're on the Unilever roster. They come to us with a job, and the client was out in, I'm going to forget the, I think the client was in Singapore, but somewhere like that and this job needed to be shot in Manchester because Cristiano was there mm. and so there's Cristiano and they're like right we need somebody who's really shit hot at production to look after this because it, everyone not just him I mean he's he's a decent guy to work with but the entire entourage so the advertising agency the brand his people everything have got very high expectations and this has to run to the letter so we need to know that you are capable of this and gladly luckily our reputation stands us in good stead so we were put forward for that and we did a shampoo commercial I think it was <laughs> which is hilarious but really and it's like making a mini film I mean it was a huge ad I don't think people necessarily know what goes on behind the scenes to pull this together and then when you're working with him and for us, for anyone working with that type of star, especially footballers, I believe, they're available to us for such short periods of time. So we have to plan to an inch of our lives the whole setup. And then he would come in and we just get him for a couple of hours. As far as I can remember, that shoot was two hours or something. Really could do with him for two days. Yeah. So it has to be precision planning in advance. So when he arrives, you make best use of his time. And make not just him, anyone in that arena, they're footballers. 
they're not actors, they're not models. So make so when you put this microphone in front of my face, it feels nervous. Yeah. Imagine a huge camera stuck in your face. You're world famous and you do not want to look stupid. Mm. So it's to make people feel as comfortable and as well looked after, which really is a big part of our business, we say is care. Like, because people are under pressure, we're on a time limit, we're on a budget limit, a lot of people are away from home. They may be in places they've never been before. You know, the, all that sets up. So it doesn't matter if you're Cristiano or you. We yeah. look after everyone else the same. There's little difference between <laughs> us. <laughs> but with working with someone like him, from his people, we are given a big um, set of constraints and demands of what is required. Mm. But it was a brilliant experience. We did a number of shoots. I can't remember exactly, but a number of shoots with him and his team and brill a brilliant relationship. So Yeah, I mean you've even worked in sort of Nike stuff with him as well. In fact a couple recently we've got um the EA Sports franchise yeah. working with the FIFA games, which is incredible. Like yeah. I think a quick look at the LS Productions Instagram and you're like, wow. I know. And that goes back to what you just said about Tatler and, and the likes at the beginning. If we're not wowed by who we're working with, we shouldn't be in this business. Yeah. And it is really exciting, not just by the name or the celebrities involved, but by the talent who are on that set and that we get to be in our, all the people, the people that actually are on the sets, get exposed to, to learn from and see how, you know, these things are created. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, brilliant client list. Let's kind of have a wee look, right? So I have gets just a sort of idea of some of the clients you've been working with. So... We've got Disney, yes, but this is more going into LS films, isn't it? But Disney, ESPN, HBO Max, HBO, Marvel Studios, NBC, Netflix, Warner Brothers. In terms of brands, we've got Adidas, Barber, BMW, Burberry, Chanel. As I said, EA Sports, the FIFA franchise, H&M, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, good pals of mine, love when you give me stuff. <laughs> uh, Lancome, Mango, Nintendo, Poor Samsung, Stella McCartney, TK Maxx, Unilever, which is like Unilever on everything. Volvo, which I believe was the commercial filmed up in Sky. Mm -hmm. We've got Vogue magazine, Valentino working with Zendaya. But is it this, so we get to 2013 and LS Films is set up, is that because you kind of been encroaching into that market a wee bit of making adverts or making those types of films and then thought, right, so we're think, going to set it up? I think what happened is in 2013, the commercial business was set up. So that took us from what you just said earlier on, doing fashion and stills, it was all really still photography, mm -hmm. which then turned into doing advertising photography. So say for a bank or a telephone company or something like that. I mean, who cares? But it's similar, similar, but it's not. It's different because you may be working then with an ad agency instead of a fashion brand and their needs are different, blah, 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 blah. And then we were doing work for the Bank of Scotland, all the work that would go in the banks, on the leaflets, on the bank cards. You know those pictures in the bank really cards? Really well. We did all of that, I mean, years Incredible. ago. Incredible. And then they said, could you make our TV ad? And I'm good at saying yes and working out. And I was like, no, no, I, this is beyond my limits. Remember, I've never done production yeah. before. I can't make an ad. And they were like, yes, you can. We need all the same stuff from you, but we'll bring somebody with our team who will kind of do the TV bit. I was like... So at that point, I met Sarah, who's now our MD. I knew Sarah anyway, so sorry, I'd already met her. But And we'd crossed paths many times in, in a sort of work social scenario. But I said to Sarah, would you fancy coming in and helping me bid on this work so I can do it properly? And if we win it, you can produce the work. And that's how Sarah came into the business in when it, yeah, 2013, I think is about right. Sarah probably came in slightly earlier than that. And um, then we made some ads. And then I was like, all oh, right, I still don't ask me too what many technical details. Is James Cosmo? 
We did James Cosmo, which I think we actually put him forward for that shoot. I mean, it's hilarious. One of those shoots as well was very much about a crossroad, you know, like the Bank of Scotland saltire cross mm-hmm. thing. And it was like, we need to find a live crossroad, like a real one, nothing comped in somewhere in Scotland. So we did loads and loads and loads of scouting to find something that looked perfect, which we did great. And on the night of the shoot, it snowed heavily. So the crossroads, it was the whole point of the shoot is covered up by snow. You might find this ad somewhere. So we're like, shit. Sarah thinking on her feet, it's like, right, we need to find a snowplow. Now, clearly if Scotland's snowy, the snowplows are out. They're no hanging around to clear a film set for us. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we found like Jimmy the snowplow man or whoever he was. Don't know how we found him, but we did. Who ploughed the crossroads all night because obviously it was still snowing, so the snow would build oh, up again. Ploughed, 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 ploughed. Now, to be fair, they didn't want snow in the shoot, but at least we had a crossroads. Mm. And there's the snowy crossroads that appeared in that James wow. Cosmo ad. You end up doing as well. Videos for Ed Sheeran's album, Subtract. Yeah. That's unbelievable. All of the videos. Also, all the videos. All of them. That is outrageous. And he talks about that, I believe, in his uh, documentary, which is on if Disney+. If you Plus. look really closely, you can see people from LS in the really? background. Yeah. Uh, multiple Grammy nominations for the video for Harry Styles' single, Adore You, which was filmed at like, Port Seaton. Uh, Adore You was... There was a pub in Port Seaton. Was it? Brilliant. And most of it was in St Abs, you know, just... East Coast, down towards the borders, just past Coldingham, before mm. Berwick-upon-Tweed. Beautiful. St Abs is a gorgeous, it's actually my favourite bit of Scotland, before Harry Styles filmed there. So that was a moment for me because St Abs and Harry Styles is a clash I never imagined it would ever happen <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Even like working with David Beckham in his Studio 99 for the Hague Club type, they were sort of documentary style adverts, weren't they? Yeah. Touring Scotland, working in TV programmes like The Bachelor, Bear Grylls, Things for Apple TV. You should work for us in PR. It's I know, I should. You're making this sound uh, amazing. Oh, you're getting an invoice <laughs> after this. The, 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 while I'm listening to all this and then I've got all my questions, but I'm just kind of trying to paint the picture for, for the person listening and get the Valentino project with Zendaya. Uh, the CBBC series, A Kind of Spark. It was a 10-part series, still available on iPlayer, I believe. It's yeah, sort of great. lifting the lid on what it's like to be an autistic teenager. Yeah, Nuno Diverse. Yeah. Uh, and, and filmed and run by a, a, a huge mix of people from different Nuno Diverse backgrounds, casting neurodiverse people, which obviously you have to do carefully and sensitively, but that was their aim and ethics. So being part of that, mm-hmm. we filmed that in the Northwest on a great um, location called Tatton Park. It's a huge swathe of landscape and buildings, but we helped them work out how to kind of make this slightly medieval look. And if you watch, it's mm. such a really cool program, um, sort of aimed at older kids, but um, brilliant, yeah. Great but thing to I think the of. fact that there's such, such a wide array with, I mean, Harry Styles, Ed Sheeran, David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo, Zendaya, it, it quite literally doesn't get bigger in terms of from a celebrity perspective. Do you feel that... I don't know if I, how, how you even word this. Do you feel there should be more of a noise being made about what this relatively new sort of smallish company is, is doing on the global scene? I think probably yes. I mean, as in, as a small business, like you say, we do our best through our channels, of course. And I get wheeled out for loads of events and awards. Like, so there was awards behind you lovely but for me they just represent milestones in our life and a chance for us to shout loud about the the progress we've made 
the progress all the people in this business has helped this business make and actually what we're doing a for the scottish economy for the wider uk economy and just that opportunity of a kitchen table business is working with people mm-hmm. like this so yeah we we could shout louder but do we really need to like maybe our even, ego would get in the way if we were to yeah i feel even it should be done on your behalf like well that's what I, exactly what i'm doing because i just find it so fascinating because you assume that these things no this is hollywood this is london this is maybe mm-hmm. paris well lisa is also now now included so that. funny yeah. i mean these two awards that i'm looking at behind me so you're listed in the, as number five in the febe growth 100 which is a list of britain's fastest growing founder-led private companies and number 88 in the Sunday Times, 100 fastest growing private companies, which those are two serious accolades, which sort of shine a light on the fact that, yeah, the creative aspect is important and not everybody can do that, but nor can they do it from the from that business perspective either. And that's our biggest opportunity, and that's why we're being successful, is because we are a creative business and all those clients need us to be creative and our team... Yeah. Throughout the team, we're creative thinkers for sure. But I've always said, you know, this is it any is it like any other business? It needs to run like a business. So having that kind of contrast by being creative in the output, but actually really thinking about process and systems and finances and the things I touched on before, all the things that need done. How did the systems work? Do we have computers? What's of you know? And then it's all about sales and marketing and strategy and. I'm in a business group that I mentioned already called Vistage and each person either owns and leads or or leads a business from all sorts of different sectors of industry. When we take away what our actual end product or delivery is, we've all got the same opportunities and challenges. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from this group. But I'm really proud of us being a good, solid business. And it's not easy in an industry like this, although there's a massive gap because not many people succeed and getting on lists like that, and that's actually why I'm most proud. Not, yeah. I'm proud to be on it, but I'm actually proud that we're being recognised as astute and decent businesses, and not just for the campaigns that we do. And don't get me wrong when I say that, because when you look at them, they're amazing, but they don't pay wages unless we run a business properly behind yeah. it. And that's the whole industry. That's all the crew, the caterers, you know, the gaffers, the sparks, the sound, everyone who works in our jobs, that's what delivers that project but unless we have a sound business behind us then we not able to to support the industry properly from contributing to the economy in the way that you do but also putting the country on the like literally on the map on screens across the world the scottish government then take notice of that and say you know we should for for the purpose of the tape um the interview has rolled her eyes when (laughs) i asked that question um, i'm going to unroll them which would lead me to think okay I just think creative industries can be misunderstood. Yeah. Like, it's just very arty and it's not proper business. Saying yeah. that, I think there's a lot more understanding at that level. And I think it's something like, for £1 spent in creative businesses, £6 generated for the economy or some fact like that. So there's a bit more of an understanding. We have a really, really good local MSP called Ben McPherson um, for Leith and North Edinburgh. Good who guy. takes active interest in us and, and the businesses of Leith, not just us, yeah. and creative businesses as a whole. And he, he put a motion through Parliament, you know, when we got our award or when we were 10 years old. So very supportive. I would just say probably there's a disconnect, and maybe rightly so. So I've just become the 
chairperson, not chairman of the Scottish Advertising Association, where we can have a bit more of a voice about the impact of our industry on the wider economy. Because yeah. you say it's not just on employing people and, you know, but it's actually about putting Scotland or the UK on the map and what really happens here. I think just sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect. Like It's very celebrated when a major film rolls into Scotland, in my opinion. So, I don't know, Avengers is here for six weeks, woo, and that's great. So that's one quite big injection of um, cash or, or, or PR. But what yeah. about the stuff that happens every day? Like exactly. the ads, like the dramas, like the shorts, what's going on in the studios that maybe not get as much press. And ads is sometimes a little bit frowned upon. But if you say, look at that client list. Yeah. They're all ads in a way. But look at the people we're working with. That is a fundamental... Um, it's an easy sell for the government because it's exciting. Um, so we've recently opened in Malta... And when I got off the plane, I went to the bathroom. And honestly, the first thing I saw in the bathroom was a sign saying, this scene of World War Z was shot here, or this part. And they had a bit of a map. This is exactly what... Like, they're totally celebrating. And Malta's a very film-friendly, yeah. tiny island. So so there's a bit of that here. And there's a little bit, like, Outlander's very, like, popular and talked about, but what about all the other stuff? So that's kind of why I rolled my eyes, because I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding between film and all the other kind of content output there is. But there is some people who really get it, and it's our job to help people really understand yeah. that impact. So maybe we've not quite done that yet, so I've unrolled my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to use Outlander as a perfect example. You've got Americans and Australians and Canadians and for God knows where else, all flocking here. And f- the, f- the funny thing about Outlander is it doesn't really register in Scotland. I have think you watched it? I have I watched I've watched it. every episode. Have you? Yeah, I love it. I th- I'd never heard it. I was in America and I had some, uh, like, just these American women, like, can you say Sassanek? And I was like, how the hell do you know that word? <laughs> and they're like, because we watch Outlander. And I was like, the fuck's Outlander? I, had, I, went, I genuinely had no clue. Well, I went to one of the New York... Tartan parades, can't remember what they were called, many years ago, yeah. one of the leads of Outlander was leading the parade, and I didn't know who he was at the time, but it sparked my interest, and then, I don't even know how I got to watch it. Who was it, do you remember? Oh, what's that? I've forgotten the guy's name, it'll come back to me. Well, we, that Soho night, me and, uh, I think, uh, well, me and Thigme went back to, it was Richard. Richard, it's not him, but no, Richard. We had a, the, had a party of his. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my God, it'll come back to me. But it's, and it's not Jamie Fraser. It's the guy that doesn't really like Jamie Fraser. Anyway, oh God, I can't, I'm really annoyed, can't remember. We'll figure it out after. Anyway, um, and then I just decided to watch it. And it became John and I's Sunday night ritual that we'd Is watch Outlander. We loved it. I mean, some people don't like it. I mean, it's mills and boons of Scotland, so I'd call it. But it's super interesting. And the, the authoress, Diana, met very briefly. I mean, what a mind she must have to sort of bring that story to life and then to put it on screen as a whole other thing. Yeah. But it did what you said. It got people talking about Scotland. Now, I don't know about you, but if I travel around the world on a holiday or for work and I say I live in Scotland, I don't. I think maybe one person in the world has ever said that sounds shite. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, I love Scotland. I know someone in Scotland. I've heard this. I've watched the programme. Yeah. There's a real warmth to the country. Yeah. That's why I think we as a nation could do harder to sell it for more than just castles and tartan, which I know Outlander does a bit of that sort of typical traditional stuff, but it's, it makes people think about Scotland. We're a small country. We yeah. need to work hard at this. I think you summed it up perfectly. Well, you could be in Glasgow city centre and in five minutes you could be in some incredible place, either or Kelvin Grove yeah. or, or Glasgow Uni, and then within 35 minutes you're in Loch Lomond going, wow, How incre- like, this is amazing. And amazing. that's only in the West. 
totally. And I love the fact, like, see, that bit's in the west, but just go a little bit east or further north or further yeah. south, and it changes quite dramatically. Oh, it's it not does. like, here's more of the same stuff. It's yeah. like, wow. So when you see it through that lens, like you already talked about, or if we get to bring clients here, we did a big shoot for a brand called Nautica, a New York um, crew mainly that flew in, and we shot it. Probably some like Crail or something like that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they, 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 well, we were on a set really, but they were like, this is like a film set. I can't believe these are people's houses. Yeah. I can't believe businesses run from here. And they, just that experience, I mean, they are blown away. Uh, talking about it changing dramatically, I went to, to interview somebody up in Inverness. So I had never been up the A9 oh, before. I think I listened to that in neutral. Uh, oh, I, I did the, listen uh, to that. Disorder one. I, and, uh, but on the way up, I was like, what? And it probably took me about an hour and 20 minutes longer because I was stopping and all that, just because I'm going, this is just absolutely incredible. Like, it, it is an, it's an amazing country with a lot to offer. I think it's, I mean, this is tiresome, this part now, but as Scots, we kind of put ourselves and each other down, don't we? And it's maybe I think it's to, like, good to be humble, but I also think we can be proud <laughs> and confident, but we don't have to be dicks, but we yeah. could be a wee bit more vocal. Yeah. Um, in terms of... I mean, we, we've kind of come right up to now and, and all this, such a diverse offering of work and the journey, God, you said the company started, what, 16 years ago? 17 yeah, years 17 ago? 17 now, yeah. God. Yeah, and it's like, that's probably gone by in the blink of an eye. You, it, I think yeah. mm. 2022, I may be getting my figures wrong, but I think there was maybe £22 million pounds of revenue generated by the company, which is obscene and, of course, there's a lot of outgoings and profits don't necessarily equate to, to incomings. Yeah, I think people read stuff like that, and sometimes it's a bit misquoted, but they th- kind of think, that's all my money. But, I mean, the thing about production world you've got to remember is you can work on projects that have a £10 million budget, so they might have a million, something might have 200 grand, something might have two grand. So those numbers can fluctuate hugely. Yeah. But as you say, it's what drops to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So our whole business process and setup is key to because also our income is like buses none for ages loads come at once so we've got a lot to manage in terms of resource but also john and i are the shareholders founders of this business there's no outsiders in this business in terms of finance and its growth so everything that's here is and it's not getting my violin out but it's been reinvested into the next step of the business and that helped us navigate the hardest part of the business, which was COVID, when really our industry shut down. Mm. But also this year's been difficult, especially with the strikes out in Hollywood and obviously the economic climate and some of the awful things that are going on in this world has changed how things are being spent. So I'm all for celebrating those big top numbers and they help me win awards. But in reality, it's all a bit of what does it really mean, doesn't mm. it? Well, you said, uh, I don't know if I'm right or wrong in this, I think you said that you would like to look for friendly investment with people that realise they'll get a return, but they'll kind of think, right, know what you're, what you're doing and what you're working Possibly. on. Possibly. I think we've got to open our eyes to where we're at and where we've come from, and everything we've learned has been amazing. But I keep saying, like, a girl from Bennycook, a couple from Dalkeith, now grown a global media business, yeah. amazing, right? Dead proud of us and dead proud of the people that have helped us on this journey or part of the journey of who have created the journey with us. But are we constricting the potential of the business by continuing like that but also I don't want to go down that route route or road sorry at any cost so about building this business has always been bringing like-minded people into the business and we have like-minded people sit around this business who help us think and learn and you know question guide us really well 
possibly to take us to the next stage, we need a bit of investment to give this company the injection it deserves mm. to reach its potential. But it's a very, very considered, it's a very early thought, but it's a very, it's like getting married, you know, it might even be worse than getting married. But you make, like, look back at the decision we made about setting up the business with somebody in the past. Yeah, You've got to look at the end in mind and what that could really mean. But I'm very prepared to look at those potentials and I'm having some really interesting conversations that's all they are they might not go anywhere but we can see in our vision and it's a five-year vision at the moment because that's far enough to think about it's harder to look yeah. it's hard to even think you know what were we doing five years ago so what are we really going to be doing in five years but that might give us the potential to do something outstanding that maybe we can't do alone or maybe mm. we don't want to do alone I'm sure you'll be the one to make the decision on it either way you'll not be pushed into it Definitely not. This blethered charts, we, uh, it must be the expat population, but it charts in United Arab Emirates a lot. So if there's any uh, Arab billionaires listening, <laughs> feel free. There's yeah, a lot of interesting. I'll, I'll take my 1% finders. <laughs> <thank you. laughs> there's a lot of interesting things happening out there, and we're having some interesting discussions there. How too, so. You've got an office, you've got a Manchester's like sort of space and studio in Manchester. You've got Something in Old Compton Street. I use a podcast studio in Old Compton I Street. Do you? Uh, Runway East. Oh, that's where our office was. Was it really? Until I... COVID. We decided to shut it down right. because we could in COVID because it was just, what's the point of having a space? And to be fair, we just use it as a base right, now okay. because we've decided with hybrid working right now and to keep costs as low as possible, uh-huh. do we actually need a, a physical London office, but that is our base. How yeah. funny is that? We could have been exactly. in. Are you every Probably. time I was in London? That's what I was interviewing. It's a people. nice space. I like it. It is. It's really, yeah. really good. Um, just what is it like across from around the corner of the Groucho Club? Yeah, and like Ronnie Dangerous place. Oh, you're telling me, like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Weird, like an old man's working man's club. It Weird is, vibe. It? it is. It's, it's not like, what I thought it'd be like. No, at all. It's, it's not. Fancy but I am. At all. I'm such a what's the word? I just sit and look at people like, oh my god, what happens in here? I know. Hilarious. You just see so many faces. You're like, I can't believe, and everybody just kind of mixes with each other as if. Our first office, we actually just had a desk in an office, is right opposite Groucho. Right. So if I was in there, so we had a. I, a woman working for us there and she I'd go in and visit her and, and the, the office we were renting from the people there and just sit and look out the window staring at the grouchal door and even <laughs> during the day I'd be like oh, look at that but I love that like right. that whole I mean obviously London's changing a lot but that just going to Soho quite a lot it's quite fun I love, so, I love hanging about in Soho Soho House so Greek Street pro- after White City is my favourite so how Greek, Greek Street Greek Street do you ever yeah. go in because yeah. you've got the terrace up the stairs that, is that the original one I think so I think so, and then you've got Dean Street as well, maybe Dean Street. I know a lot of people moan about Soho House, but I don't use it that much, but it's just very busy now. I think they're trying to work, because a lot of people set up their laptop for the day, and it's hard to get a seat, but it would be silly to not say we're lucky to get to use. Haven't, everything that we've spoken about, and talking about starting and and not knowing what to do, and learning as you go and kind of picking wee things up and teaching yourself and finding out and making mistakes and getting it wrong and having a bit of success and then having a setback and then no money coming in and like all of these things. Say if there was somebody else who had this sort of business idea but they think, oh, I'll never get anywhere with that, I'll never go anywhere, what would you say to them? Don't do it. No, I'd, <laughs> I would say the opposite. If you really believe in it, give it a go. But try to make some rough plans around you about how you think it's going to look. Mm. Like, just roughly. I used to be so scared of writing a plan. It was like nearly I was 
chipping my name into my tombstone or something. <laughs> but actually I realise plans can change. But if you've got some rough idea, you can at least know if you if it's going how you thought it might. And if it isn't, what do you need to think about mm. in that moment? So what decisions do you make about today for tomorrow? And it's also really hard for some just just give it a go. I mean, you could be throwing a well-paid job in the bin and starting a business that might go down the tubes. Yeah. So you've got to be sensible about it because anything could happen, but it's all a bit of a gamble. So try and gather your thoughts, speak to people that you trust their opinion about what it is and why you believe. I mean, I speak to people a lot about this business and some people would never run this business because it's too risky for them. But this is the world of media and filmmaking and production. That is this world. It's not risky, it's just it. But for some people, they would never have gone into my world. So I can advise you necessarily what to do, but if you can make me believe, that's not because I just like you and I'm going to agree with you. It's mm -hmm. like, then you can start to say, well, if I can convince somebody else, this has got legs. Yeah. So then you have to, I mean, only good things have happened because people have given it a go. We know that. If, from if I can offer some advice or an answer to my own question as well, I would say to people um, daily, before you go to sleep and when you wake up, this is what I do write 10, 10 goals or 10 aims and it could be oh, oh yeah it could be for the day it could be for the week the month the year the decade it could be something as simple as hit 10,000 steps today or it could be something obscene like have my own documentary on a major it could be anything and I tend to find that it's your, your focus in your head. You know the thing about your brain filters out 90% of what comes in because, you know, it can only take in so much. And were you altering your focus? Uh, one, I think it's really good for happiness, so that's what I find anyway. Because um, yeah. it gives you this wee, I mean, I don't know, it's a wee jolt of excitement. But then what starts to happen is people explain it in different ways and some people go, you're invoking the law of attraction and things start to come your way. And there may be an argument for that. I think mostly it's, in fact, you're, you're refocusing your attention. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's those little edges it gives you. I'll yeah. do a bit more of that than that, because we're all time short yeah. for definite. I think that other thing about, you've got to do something because you not only believe in it, because owning and running a business is hard work, and it's brilliant. Like, pals of mine say, it's great you own your own business, just take as many holidays as you want. And you're like, it's not really like that. You live, breathe, eat, sleep your business. Yeah. So you've got to love it. So if you're just doing it for money... And money would be a nice byproduct of it. I think that you get exhausted by yeah. the pressure of it. So you that belief, and you've got to love it. It's a weird love is a big part of it. it kind of comes back to what we said about contentment and fulfillment. It doesn't come from those external things. And if yeah, you can have all the toys and shiny things in the world, but if your day to day existence and routine doesn't do much for you, then so as much as we work in this really like fabulous environment with these big client names and brands. Some of where I've got my most satisfaction is building a team, having those values, training people, seeing in their careers, seeing them leave and move on to other jobs, which sounds weird, but they, that we are part of the stepping stone, looking at how we can train people and bring them into this industry. It's mm. such a closed industry. How do you get from school into what we do? Nobody talks about yeah, it. True, it. What's the training programme? Yes, you can go to film school, but not everyone wants to be creative or a director. We need set builders. We need hair and mm -hmm. makeup artists. Yeah. We need runners. We need kit people. We need health and safety. And I could go on and on. So how can we create pathways? And we're nowhere near that yet. But we think about it. And how can we get our clients to bring people into paid opportunity in terms of training? So I could say, come and work for free all summer. Who can afford to work for free? 
you know, these a people... A certain demographic, so, yeah. Well, and then that's unfair. Then we're not looking at diversity in any shape or form. And we're missing a huge swathe of people who could really... Well, they're the future of this industry. And it's not just young people, it's everybody. So I love the fact that we're able to have, and we will have more of an effect on this. That's more my legacy, than, and I love that client list. And I'm sure on my deathbed I'll remember it and go, oh, <laughs> saw Cristiano Ronaldo in a shower once, which was really fun. And then, and then we got to work after that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think it's those things, and they're the little everyday moments and yeah. some of the stuff that happens in this office or some of the stuff we celebrate at team events or what I hear, we have a daily check-in. And the point of a daily check-in is who's in the offices or who's on screen, who's working, seeing everyone, are you all right, are you all right? Now, we don't say, are you all right, are you all right? But the fact that you're on the screen means you're there and anyone can sort of jump in. So it's just a mini regroup every day. But basically, it's to see, is everyone all right? Mm -hmm. Do you need a hand? Or if you've not on screen, your your line manager, your pal might give you a phone, are you all right? Oh, shit, I slept in, fine. Well, actually, no, I'm having a shitty day. That's all part of the best successes. It's about that and the culture than just the client list. Mm -hmm get both of that working well and we do not get this right all the time and running a business is a tough gig especially when you want it to be a happy place for all that's impossible yeah I, well to i mean a, the attainment of perfection is impossible but striving to get there will get you some good results anyway want to. this has been brilliant it's been like an education <laughs> i've enjoyed for me it. too <laughs> i know thank you for the cup of tea as well well yeah she didn't even make it i, I retract my thanks no. oh yeah maggie made it she's the best <laughs> tea no, it's tea. Is, well, thanks um, for coming down to see us. No, I really your appreciate long journey from west to east. West right? to east, yeah. <laughs> Back to civilization now. <laughs> um, no, it's been great. I mean, this whole story, you never know, one day might become a film. You never ever know. But I'm sure wow. the... Uh, what a good idea. I wish you well for the, the script. I planted a seed in my head. There. Oh, there we go. Well, <laughs> have I'll you be... got the IP rights to it already? <laughs> I have, yeah. I've actually already had that. <laughs> everything registered. So if you want to make a film about your own life, you have to kind of come through me. <laughs> Well, thank you again, and uh, thank you for listening as always. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Blethered. Cheers.